Hello and welcome to Living Proof, the Isaac Newton Institute podcast. My name is Dan Aspel and I'm your host. In today's episode, I'm joined by Maha Khoury of the Newton Gateway and Hannah Thomas of Government Analysis Function. Hannah specialises in communicating data, statistics and analysis with a particular focus on accessibility. So she'll be telling us all about that and more. We hope you enjoy the episode. So here we are on the latest episode of Living Proof, and uh, it's myself, Dan Aspel, and with me is my colleague Maha Khoury, who is the Scientific Knowledge Exchange Coordinator for the Newton Gateway. Hello. And uh, we're really happy today to be joined by Hannah Thomas, who is, uh, I think I'm getting this right, Hannah, Lead Support for Communicating Data, Statistics and Analysis at Government Analysis Function. Yeah, that's right. It's quite long, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> Brilliant. So <laughs> I'll hand over to you two guys for a little bit, because the reason we're talking to you, Hannah, is that you were at the Newton Institute, uh, is it three weeks ago now, Maha? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, yes. roughly that. And um, I'll let you explain what context that was in. Okay, so we met on the 24th and 25th of January um, for an event at the Isaac Newton Institute on communicating maths for the public. So this was uh, two days and we covered um, various different topics um, to do with good practice, public experience, um, the pandemic and other emergencies. And then also we thought a bit about um, next steps for the communicating maths community. And this was quite a large event that we had over 100 people at the Institute. And from that, um, we met Hannah. Um, who works at the government analysis function. And then also we had um, a few other people from um, the civil service, as well as um, some quite big names like Hannah Fry and David Spiegelhalter to share their experiences. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that's how, how that went. Um, and then, so Hannah, what were your thoughts on the event? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know, I feel people said it in the event, like didn't expect the bit to be as good. Which I think because if, if you've ever been to like a stats conference or a maths conference before, there's always there are some of the presentations sometimes quite intense and the person knows a lot about it, but doesn't necessarily know how to um, speak in front of a big audience. But I guess everyone who was asked to speak had some sort of, you know, uh, was there because they were good at communicating in some way so yeah I thought it was really really good and it was quite um daunting to have like statistical celebrities there that was quite, um, that was quite cool an added bonus I quite like, I like that um but for me it was really, I was quite tiring because I did not realize how far away Cambridge was from um Neath <laughs> so um, I had to get up at like five to get a train and then yeah and then Jay I had to go into London and then back out of London which is um I've never done that before, but that was fun. Yeah. Well, you were very energetic by the mid-afternoon when you were speaking then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, my hair had all gone. I'd curled all my hair, especially though, and it had all fallen out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, at the risk of embarrassing you, Maha found a, um, a blog post which you, you put up earlier this month. And I really liked the line at the beginning uh, where you said that you'd been away to Disneyland Paris not long afterwards, but that unexpectedly the Cambridge trip was as entertaining and definitely more inspiring. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, with apologies to Disneyland Paris, but it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's very much secondary. 
I'm not a massive Disney file, so um, but that, that adds something to it. But but yeah, it definitely was more inspiring because it, um, it was lots of really. It was just really nice. I haven't been back in a university setting for such a long time, and I'd forgotten how lovely it is to be surrounded by people who know so much about their specialism. Um, and that's I just always find that really nice, and people just know a lot. Yeah, and and there were people there. Mahad named a couple there, people from an independent setting, people who were representing other bodies. And I have to say, I um, I don't know a lot about government analysis functions, so I'm, I'm really keen to find out from you, Hannah, in, in a nutshell, what it is that that organisation does and, and what you do there. Okay, so it's not so much an organisation, it's like a network um, that's set up. So somebody, somebody, somebody high up as a service came in and had the idea of you should have functions, just like a finance function, an analysis function, a commercial function. So we kind of came out of that. Before that, we were I was working under the GSS, which is the Government Statistical Service. So the GSS still exists, but it kind of got amalgamated into the analysis function. And it's basically made up as a network of all the analysts who work across government. Um, so... And, and that's a bit vague. So there are analytical professions. There's like seven analytical professions, and I can never remember all of them, so I'm not going to try and list them. Um, but there's, um, but really, it's wider than that. It's anyone who's working with analysis. And the reason, one of the reasons my, you know, my title is a bit longer, is because it's not just analysis. It's data and stats and analysis. And analysis kind of covers all those things, but people don't always know that it covers all those things. Um, yeah, so that, that is just trying to bring them all, everyone together to have a better network of all the people working on similar areas so they can communicate better and get the access to guidance that will be helpful for all of them um, and a lot of stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And, and as someone whose understanding of it is about equivalent to that of a five-year-old, what are all the analysts doing across the civil service? So I used to run, I used to work in a team and we used to run like the induction course for people entering the GSS. So it wasn't the analysis function so much, but it was, the GSS covers quite a lot of the analysis function. And I used to be always really amazed at all the jobs people are doing, the different types of jobs they are doing across government. So they can be people, and I I used to work, do like a lot of advice on spreadsheets. So I give advice on spreadsheets that were about like, fisheries in scotland and basically a spreadsheet that lists all the fish all the different types of fish that are caught off scottish waters and then you'd be speaking to someone who obviously loads and loads of covid work loads of brexit work but then loads of um like things for dcms um and uh well, i don't know what that's called now but yeah i'm not supposed to talk in acronyms my digital culture media and sports so they could be uh, they'd have really interesting completely different stats but really interesting stats um yeah so it's, it's a it's a massive range of you wouldn't believe how much analysis goes on and then sometimes there's people and analysts who are working in departments who are just analyzing the uh, like the stats for that department so just the head you know the, the business stats like the head counts and the salaries and it who are just there who are like internal sort of stats analysts or statisticians um but then yeah we we do need to get better reaching out to the other analysts so i don't know as much about um the other like the geographers and the actuaries and the, the people in the other analytical professions because i've always kind of been in the stats and research sort of area side of it which is the big part of it obviously wow that's really interesting to know that that much goes on within government i mean that and all of that influences everything that we as sort of citizens experience yeah there's a lot of um, analysis and spreadsheets and stuff going on that that inform a lot of public services that you might not really realize um exists but it does <laughs> so how did how did sort of your attitude and your work relate to the people you met at this event did you feel like there are others there of the same mold as you or, or were you an odd one out 
Um, no, I think everyone, everyone there was there with the reason. The main reason was to like communicate maths better to people. Um, and there was kind of discussion about because it was called communicate maths for the public, but the public doesn't exist. Like the general public isn't the thing. Is that you have to like know a bit more about the audience that you're speaking to, and that's like the most important thing when you're preparing to speak to anyone or preparing something to go out. Um, so no, I didn't feel out. I felt like everyone was kind of on the same page with that. Uh, so it was just really interesting to all, or, and. And I used to work in a role that was a sort of data journalist role and I would talk to a lot of analysts in ONS and statisticians in ONS. And when you sit down and talk to stats and uh, statisticians and analysts about the work they do, like I say, it's always lovely when someone really loves their subject and knows everything about it. And I used to have to, I used to have chats at meetings with people and they'd be so interested they talk all about their stats and um, all the different like quirks that are in their stats. I used to love working on um vital statistics stats, so uh, births, deaths, marriages, divorces. I loved, they were always my favourite things to write stories about. And, they, and the people would always know, really. So I did one story that was about um, marriages and uh, how people in, like, the 50s and 40s used to get married at the end of the tax year. I, pre- <laughs> I think I'm remembering it right. So, you always, so March was, like, a really big, uh, popular time for weddings. And it was because if you were a married man at the end of the tax year, you could claim your married man tax allowance for the whole of the past tax year. <laughs> so it was, so you think if you're going to get married anyway, not, don't wait until the summer, get married now because if you can claim back the tax for the all the tax year that's just gone, something like that. I, I did a whole piece on it and I can never remember the intricacies of it, but there's something, something to do with like, loads of weddings in March and then um, they changed the tax because married men could used to be able to claim more because you were supporting your, your wife so you could claim more tax if you were a married man than if you were a single man. Um, and then, uh, but then obviously that changed and you didn't get that bonus for being married. So um, people started getting married in the summer. And like, that was just something people knew, like they knew about, the statisticians knew about it. But I was like, oh, that's so interesting. So I can't remember where I've come from with this now. But your people, I think everyone who knows a lot about this subject is really interesting to talk to because they always know quirks and stuff that you you wouldn't necessarily know about. So I didn't find it odd in that setting because I, I always find people talking about stuff they know about engaging and just they're just not always good at presentations um, <laughs> that's great i, I, I yeah. love to hearing that i um uh, i think all the romance has gone from the world when things yeah, like that don't I, exist anymore i wanted to call them mercenary newlyweds but I, I, that got edited out of my <laughs> uh, my beat <laughs> um so so something of a journalistic background then yourself well a little bit so i was i worked in the um, digital publishing area of ons when it's when it started I think I could say ONS. I always try to avoid acronyms, but I think we know Office National Statistics. Um, so I worked in digital publishing for a bit, um, and I sort of fell into the um, data journalist role. They didn't really, they weren't called data journalist roles then. They were just, we were just working on the content design team, and I was doing some of the writing, some of the um, uh, working with the business areas. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I did, I really loved that role. It was a really interesting to work. But it was, it was quite stressful, but it was um, it was really interesting as well. And, and what what was before that point for you? Were you a maths graduate? Yeah, I did maths and economics at Bristol Uni. I, I wanted to be a teacher, so everything was always geared to being a teacher. Um, so I didn't really ever consider any other career options. And, and then I taught for three years, and I loved teaching economics, and I loved teaching A level maths, but I really was not suited to like key stage three. I never I never taught GCSE maths, but I am um, key stage three maths. I just Oh, I I, <clears throat> I just don't I really feel like the curriculum is not that fun <laughs> and it's quite repetitive and um uh, and it's just really hard and because and, and, and I was doing economics as well 
that takes like that took economics i love economics but you have to read a lot you have to know what's going on in the world to make it interesting to make it real you have to it's just a lot of prep and so i just, just didn't have the time to like make the keto's three math lessons exciting because of <laughs> trying to make the economic stuff interesting and so yeah i found that hard so i ended up um I, my school was right around the corner from ONS, and uh, I went on a day to ONS to um uh, it's meant to be helping teachers bring stats into the classroom <laughs> and I went there and I was like oh this looks like such a nice place to work <laughs> um uh, so um yeah I ended up moving over but yeah, that's kind of yeah what my background was and I moved over and I was in the labor market analysis um for a little bit bright that was also really good I had the first thing I ever wrote in that role um got on the front page of every newspaper so that really ruined me because it was on underemployment. Uh-huh. And I and I, obviously I thought then everything I write is going to end up on the front page of every national newspaper. <laughs> it's never happened again. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how my route. Oh, well, I can hear the excitement in your voice uh, and the animation. Uh, so it was obviously a journey you were, you weren't thinking twice about. It was very appealing as you, as you sort of fell into it. Yeah, as you yeah, say. I think, yeah. I think there obviously are roles in ONS that are, uh, are probably a bit drier. We can, we can go into them. But the one I fell into was... Um, really good and then I kind of yeah I think if you take control of your career and you go to the places you want to go then you'll always be interested in what you're doing yeah um <laughs> I've been monopolizing the questions so far but um I Maha actually is a mathematician so she can uh, <laughs> uh she can ask you questions which are more relevant uh, perhaps to our eager audience who are listening um so I don't know if you wanted to ask about um uh, how how the uh, work done by government analysis function relates to math at all Maha whatever direction you want to go with that yeah, so um, my my next question was going to be on, um, so in your talk you were talking about data visualisation and digital accessibility, um, and I'm assuming that's a big part of your current role, and um, and I was just wondering what, um, so you gave some examples there about how, during the event, about how you can um, make things easier for people um, to when they're looking at charts or trying to um, access the ONS charts online, things like that. Um, so what? how much of that is your role? I mean, do you do other things in your role at the at the government analysis function? Um, just curious to know. Yeah, so um, our team is about all about supporting, it's like a general thing, so commun- anything to do with communicating data stats and analysis. But um, there's a big, there was a big sort of, gap in uh, support for accessibility um but and i was managing the what was the gss website at that point a couple of years ago and then the government legislation came in so all public sector websites have a legal obligation to meet certain accessibility criteria um and that came in in 2020 so 2020 is obviously a really odd year a lot of my team got taken off to go work on the um slides for the number 10 briefings but i was left managing the website because i had to I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old, five-year-old at home, um, so I couldn't really do the high pressure making slides for the national briefings, um, and so I was doing the accessibility stuff instead. So making the website accessible first, and then we realised there's this big gap. So lots and lots of people started asking for how do we make the documents accessible, how do we make spreadsheets accessible. So it, spreadsheets was the first thing. Uh, spreadsheets of not easy to make accessible but I found I did like a bunch of research and I found that there are lots of things we can do to make them much better uh, much easier for people to use regardless of like any health impairment or disability um and then it kind of yeah went on so then people started asking about colors so we did a uh, we looked into sort of colors colors to use in charts 
Um, and then charts in more generally then. So I guess the biggest thing with charts is like the alternative text around charts and how you provide that and how you can, yeah, again, make things so that everyone can access them regardless of um, the, their, their different needs they might have. Um, so it kind of, yeah, again, it sort of fell into accessibility because there's big demand for it. But it's, it's not, the, it has become the, our main sort of part of our uh, work. But we are here for any sort of communication um, advice. And like later in the year, we're going on to looking at um, writing about analysis and how we can be better at writing about stats and analysis. Um, so, yeah, that's like the next step. But yeah, I do. I ended up knowing a lot about accessibility <laughs> sort of by accident. Yeah, no, I mean, it's something um, really important, obviously. And I saw that I think you were also speaking to um, Nick Holliman from King's College London as well at the event. And he's also heavily involved in um, data visualization and things. Um, I'm wondering, did you um, did you get anything from the event um, that made you think, oh, OK, maybe we can um, take that into account when um in your day-to-day job or anything like that i think it was for me it was about making contacts uh, and meeting other people and what what they're doing i think one of the um there was uh tom whipple was there was the science yes correspondent time. At the so he was, yeah he was really interesting to talk to because he was sort of talking about his frustration about how hard it is to get statisticians to talk about their work to the media um uh, not so much he wasn't complaining about ons very much because i think because ons are independent i think we, they have an easier time of it and they sort of pushed that more in the office so that to get um statisticians to talk directly to the media and to give sort of quotes up front um but across uh, across government and i found that really um interesting to talk to him because um when i was working as a as an analyst in ons i wasn't media trained i was i wasn't senior enough to be media trained and um if sometimes you would somebody, somebody would somehow get your number and your desk phone would ring and then it would be like somebody asking you for <laughs> um, and you just have to be like oh my god no i can't speak to you i can't speak to you so um there was a there's a lot a lot of nervousness around um speaking to the media i think as a when you work in government um so i think that i i've, I've reached out to him over twitter since to sort of say like I'd really like you to come and talk, because even though I'm based in ONS, um, our, we help everyone across government, so across all the different departments. So um, I said I'd really love it if you could come and talk to the people across all the government departments about why it would be so good if more of them would talk directly to you, and how that would help get the message out there. Because I think that's how a lot of misconceptions and misreporting happens. Is a lot of time you just can't find the person you need to talk to. And even if it's just like off the record, just so like the person can understand the stuff, it doesn't have to be given a direct quote and stuff. So yeah, I think talking to him was uh, really, really interesting. Um, and that's probably the, I've reached out to him already. And uh, a couple of other people who actually work in ONS, I thought, oh, I, I didn't know that they were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I've also reached out to them to link up better with them. Yeah, so you spoke about how, what um, like Tom Whipple as a journalist would want from the civil service. How about what you're looking for from the wider, wider communicating maths community or just the maths community in general um what would you um ask for from them oh well i we just want to get more of our because our team is across government so i guess we just want to get our we more people to know about our team and that they can come to us and ask us for help so that's like our one of our uh, big objectives across the and i guess for me, it was um, to talk about accessibility stuff and not a lot of people. Well, 
if you know, because the legislation doesn't apply to you if you're not a public sector website. But then I was talking to people about university websites, and university websites are public sector websites, so the legislation does apply to them. So, um, so that I had a couple of people talk to me about that. So I was happy also to get that message out because when you start working on something like accessibility um, and empathising more with the different people's needs, I think you do get really annoyed that things aren't as accessible as possible. And I, I was thinking the other day about. How like no, not not really that long ago. You wouldn't have had ramp access everywhere. Like it would just not be, you know, it wouldn't have been and disabled toilets everywhere. And like how weird that is to us now. Like you can't imagine that. And like as soon as you've had a child, if you try to get in a pram around, and, you, and then you realise, oh my, I can't. Obviously, people had prams before ramp access was everywhere. And what did you do before you could use that? Um, and then um, and, and disabled toilets because you can't take a pram into when you go into like a normal toilet cubicle you either have to make the choice to leave your baby outside the toilet cubicle or leave the cubicle door open and so disabled toilets are also useful for you as a mother when you've got a pram because you can you can go in there quickly use that and then leave it and you don't have to leave your baby like unattended so i think um that you do get more passionate about uh, uh making things accessible to all people the more you work on it so i also I guess what I want from them is to be more aware of the accessibility needs of different people and what they're publishing online. And I was talking to, um, oh, I've forgotten her name, the doctor who came and gave the talk about diagnostic tests. I can't remember her name. Jessica. Jessica. Um, yeah, she sort of um, spoke, we were speaking about medical records and how they might be trying to move medical records online um, and how you know, they, they definitely need to be made accessible. If people are going to access their own medical records online, like everyone needs to access them. And a lot of people who might want to access them might have access needs that, um, that you know, need to be met by the person who's publishing them. So, um, yeah, getting that message out there about accessibility to anyone communicating anything really, but particularly communicating maths. What are the most common pitfalls for accessibility? What's the most common ways in which information can't be accessed? Oh, well... A lot of people get stuck on with accessibility is that screen reader, so they tend to think of screen readers and they think, okay, people who can't see the screen and then they have to have the content read out to them, and then um, uh, what must that be? You know, trying to fix ways of trying to find ways of fixing that, and obviously it's not always possible. Like when I was talking to Nick about his data viz, like how you if you're doing some very intricate, very detailed, beautiful data viz, is very hard to make to someone who can't see that. To how do you do anything that can come close to giving the equivalent experience of something like that? So sometimes it's really hard. But um, oh, I've got my train of thought now. What, were we, what was the question? Uh, other other ways in oh, which? Oh, the main yeah. pitfalls. Yeah. So people get stuck on the screen reader thing, and the screen reader thing is a big, big thing. But there are lots of other things. So um, people who uh, aren't sight impaired, but maybe they can't see color, like 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 everyone, like the most of people see color so that's obviously one that get that trips a lot of people up and it's not easy to do either um like we've discovered for line charts once you've got more than two lines there just aren't enough colors in the world in the spectrum to have enough contrast between all the lines and the white background and that's something i didn't know until i looked into doing the colors research so in terms of using color just knowing a few extra tips around color so one of the things is that sometimes you want to use a sequential palette. So maybe you've got age ranges. So you want to go from like a light blue to a dark blue going up in the ages. Um, and if you do that on a bar chart, if for the very light blue, you can put like a, an outline around it. So someone even can't see the light blue against the white background. They can like read off the outline. So it's just tips and tricks 
just think about things you might not think about. And that's what a lot of people come up to me after or message me after say, oh, I didn't, I never thought about that. Um, or I never considered that. Um, so yeah, there's just lots of little things that are little edits and like using, I think I mentioned it in the talk, but using automatic color on a spreadsheet or on a Word document, don't color your text black, color it automatic. And then if someone, someone opens it and they've got different settings to you because they need to see they don't like white on black they can't see white black on white rather they need it to be like blue on beige if you select automatic that it'll work automatically for them was if you select black it'll just show black and then they won't be able to or they'll have to fiddle with their settings so yeah it's just little things that don't occur to you unless you have that particular need mm. yeah that's really fascinating so I was going to go on to um, possibly asking you about um, your plans um, for the future in your in your role. Um, so what things? So you've been looking at data visualization, accessibility, um, and you mentioned that you're also involved in other things um, at the government analysis function. So what are those, and um, and also what are your future plans um, in this role? Yeah. So um, for this year, we've now done. We've been working on data viz e-learning. Because um, we used to do a lot of database training, so we used to go around to a lot of government departments, and we, you know, we travel there. We do like a maybe a day's training um, with like a lot of people from different government departments, and then we'd all get really good feedback, and it'd be really good, and it was good training. But then nothing actually, it, it never really fed through to changes in publications. So people tend to go on training, don't they? And then they, they like the training and everything, but then I don't, we don't know. We don't really know what why nothing fed through to changes, but. Um, Oh, like certain things like we talk about color but then the, the department would have their own color palette and they'd have to go and you back and use that color palette so um what we tried to do is try that took up so much of our time that we thought oh it's not really being that effective so we're going to put e-learning out there so if people want to just have a, an introduction to the database so that's on there i'm not massively massively love e-learning um but I've tr we try to make it as first of all accessible so it's all in html there's no like fancy program to go in um, and then uh, we try to put activities in throughout it, little things um, to do, um, and then exercises at the end. So we've tried to make it as engaging as we can, as informative as we can, um, and we're doing more and more work on it to edit it and test it and, and, and go on and on. So that's a, a, the big thing we're working on at the moment. So that, that is there as a standalone resource um, so people can come and use it so we haven't got to go and travel everywhere to, to teach the people the stuff. Um, so then we have more time. I would really love to do some sort of be more based like a sort of consultancy so people would say oh look we're publishing this report we want to make it more accessible we want the database to be better and then we get to work with a team on a report or something they're working on because then you can actual change you can see the impact you're having um and then like i said the next thing the big piece of guidance my team is going to work on is the writing because it exists there is writing about stats guidance but it hasn't been updated for about four or five years so just to make sure it's, it's incorporating all that accessibility stuff, but then it's also um, up to date in what it's saying. That's the big thing. So is the audience for that civil servants or is it also for the wider public? Or So I always like to put our, our guidance and everything out publicly available. So because we do get requests from people outside government for advice and stuff, or if they can access the stuff we provide. Um, lots of charity sector a lot of the time ask for stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so everything's always on the analysis function website, uh, publicly available. But um, yes, it's written with uh, government in mind um, because they're the ones who've got to meet the certain criteria and they've got to, um, that's we who to support basically. So yeah, government analysts. 
Great. And for, the, for the benefit of the listeners, that's um, analysisfunction.civilservice.gov.uk. Uh, yes, it took a long time to get that domain. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> well, there are 10 other people wanting exactly that one. Were there? <laughs> oh, well, we weren't allowed to have analysisfunction.gov.uk. That's what we wanted, but we were not allowed to have that. Ah. So we had to have the service. We had to make it that little bit longer. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, there has to be that ownership there. <laughs> Very clear signposting this is the civil service. Um, well, and also, it's, it's also part of the thing about that is annoying, is it's also local government. So we're also here to support local government, but local government are not civil servants, they're public servants. So that's the reason why we didn't want to have civil service in the domain, but we had to have it because we couldn't. there's no other way around it. So we had to go for that one. Uh, well, yeah, link, just shout yeah. out to all the local <laughs> government people. We do. We are here for you. Excellent. The, the link's <laughs> in the show description for anyone listening. So... Um, you can find that there and yes uh, information which is relevant uh, to the wider public as well as to uh, the public sector as you uh, just pointed out that's great um maha were, th- were there any other questions you wanted to ask before no we... that's all from me um super well um Thank you. I-, I wanted to ask you it's putting you on the spot a little bit hannah but um of the talks you saw when you're at the event uh, which did you find the most interesting oh well obviously like hannah fry and david spiegelhalter are like the most refined. No, they obviously really do that for a lot, a lot of the time. So that both those talks are really good. I, re- I, I also really like the um, the producer for more or less. I think it's very brave when everyone stands up with no slides and he just talked off a piece of paper. But he was obviously um, that was uh, a, they were all really interesting um, and sort of talking about yeah, like busting misconceptions and stuff. I think part of his talks about and I've always thought that I always loved doing that. It's really. Yeah, I mean, uh, the program more or less and everything that David Spiegelhalter, that I've seen him do at least, uh, I mean, they, they couldn't be more similar. <laughs> it's um, yeah. wonderfully, ent- I mean, you know, insightful from both um, and wildly entertaining from David when he chooses to be. Uh, and then just sh- like sh- sort of shocking and stunning from more or less on a weekly basis about yeah. misinterpretation of, uh, of, of scientific fact. And just how hard it is, I think. Just like, you know, it's, it is, it, you have to go away and research it and work out all the... Like, this is the caveat and these are the things you need to bear in mind and stuff. I also did really love, um, I think it was Rowan, he was the philosopher, so it was an really interesting take on, uh, every edition, edition, a completely different type of talk, talking about, yeah, philosophy of stuff. That's good. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing those thoughts. Um, we've kept you for about half an hour and I, I think um, we, I've, I've run out of the... Uh, penetrating and interesting questions that I, I'd prepared for you. Um, but thank you for giving up such a, a portion of your day. And uh, I guess we, we very much hope to see you at future Gateway or, or Isaac Newton Institute events um, should you know, when they appear that we should be suitable for you to attend. Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, yeah, um, thank you both very much for joining and uh, have, a, have a great rest of the day. And you. Thank you. Thanks.